Apple presents events at the Apple Store. We'd like to invite you guys to check out the trailer for The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. You understand that whatever I do, it comes back to you and Mom. I don't want you to get hurt. Since the last games, something's different. You can see it. What can you see? You saved us. I know that. But I can't go on acting for the cameras and then just ignoring each other in real life. She's not who they think she is. And she has to be eliminated. I agree, but in the right way. At the right time. We have to go before they kill us. They will kill us. People want to fight. I'm staying here. They fought very hard in the games, Miss Everdeen. But they were games. Would you like to be in a real war? Imagine thousands of your people dead. Your loved ones. Gone. What do I need to do? This is the 75th year of the Hunger Games. The tributes are to be reaped from the existing pool of victors. I get to say goodbye. So what do we do? I think these games are gonna be different. The 75th Hunger Games! Ready to work? There she is, Captain 17! The girl on fire! I want you guys to forget everything you think you know about the games. Last year was child's play. This year, you're dealing with all experienced killers. Any last advice? Stay alive. Remember who the real enemy is. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Thelma Adams from Yahoo Movies, and our special guest, Francis Lawrence. Good evening. I'm Thelma. This is Francis. Hello. Hi. Um, so, are you stoked to see the movie now? Very exciting. I have seen it, <laughs> and you've seen it many times. Um, one of the things I noticed in the trailer, it says, last year was child's play, and obviously you weren't the director of the first movie. So how does that resonate for you as someone who came on as the director in the second movie? Um, well, you know, this time it's a, it's a very different story. Uh, I think that was actually the really exciting thing for me, that this, this chapter for me is, um, is where the story in the Hunger Games trilogy really breaks open, where all the, the real themes start to kick in. Uh, it becomes a lot more political, I think more emotionally intense. Um, but also, on a smaller level, it, it truly is different. The games are different this time because Katniss and Peeta are the youngest. All the tributes are, are much older. Yeah, just when you thought you got out, they pull you back in. It's yes, exactly. Name. And it gets kicked up a notch. Um, now, you're currently, 
are you shooting Mockingjay 1 and 2, the next two? Are you, so, and are you doing them as one big? Yeah, we, uh, we when we started cutting Catching Fire, we started to prep uh, Mockingjay 1 and 2. Um, Mockingjay, the book, is being split into two movies, which we're shooting back to back. Which I'm um, curious about, having read the book, you know, the third book, how you parse the third book, because they all seem to be that same kind of, a lot of setup and then the games, a lot of setup and then the battle. How did you split Mockingjay? Uh, well, I, I can't really get too specific oh, okay. about the exact spot where we, where we split it, but uh, right. we found two distinct, uh, completely uh, separate stories within Mockingjay that we're, that we're telling with each of those chapters. Well, I'm going to ask you one question, like the silly tabloid question. Just have to toss it out, get it done. Who is the biggest Lawrence on set? Who's the, the, who's the biggest Lawrence? <laughs> yes. I mean, just like, has it been interesting? Like, when, when Jennifer Lawrence came on to the first one, she was an ingenue. And then when you got her to do this movie, she's an enormous star with an Oscar. Yeah. So what was that like? Just give us a nugget of that. Uh, you know, I have to I have to say she's a she's a, a an amazing girl. She's very down to earth. She's very humble. Uh, she's really really talented. Very good at what she does, um, and so very easy to work with. I, I nothing changed whatsoever. Uh, she's you know really fun, funny to be with. But you know she won the the Oscar and was back in the mud in the jungle uh, of Hawaii with us two days later, and it was business as usual. It was the same same story. And now you've traveled, basically traveled the world with this movie. Yeah, we have. This is, uh, tonight is kind of the last stop of uh, the promotional tour for, for the film. And I think it starts playing, uh, today's Wednesday, right? Yes, it starts yes. playing in theaters tomorrow. Tomorrow at like 10 at night? Or yes. Yeah. yeah, I think there's some double features with the first movie that started about 5 o'clock tomorrow, and then it's starting at about 8 o'clock. I think we start late shows. Now, when you came into this, obviously you'd seen the first one. Mm-hmm. And whatever your opinion of it or your assessment of it, what was your approach? What did you want to bring to this to the second one? Uh, well, you and know, on into the end. Yeah, for me, it, it, it all came from the from the source material. Uh, I was doing a pilot uh, when uh, actually cutting a pilot in L.A. when I got the news that or read on the internet that Gary Ross had dropped out of doing the the other movie doing Catching Fire. And a few days later, I got a call from my agent saying that Nina Jacobson, the producer, and the people at Lionsgate wanted to know if I wanted to meet and sit down uh, about possibly doing the film. I had read the books earlier mm -hmm. uh, when I was doing another film uh, and really enjoyed them. And I said, well, you know, why don't you give me the weekend? I'm going to reread Catching Fire and make sure there's enough for me to kind of really sink my teeth into. I had never really you know, I've never done a sequel before. I've never done an episode of television that um, somebody else had created. So I had never inherited a cast or had already sort of preset parameters in terms of making a movie. Right. So I wanted to think about it. Um, but very quickly uh, in rereading the, the book, I saw that there was a lot for me to sink my teeth into, that this, this is the movie where everything really opens up. So why don't you tell me a, a little bit about those, the things that really hooked you? Sure. Well, I think it was really that this is the first time the themes of the stories really start to kick in. You know, Suzanne decided to write... Suzanne uh, Collins. Suzanne Collins decided to write a series of books about the consequence of war for teenagers. 
Um, and it was that idea, the consequence of war and the consequence of violence and the kind of toll it, it takes on people that really interested me. And this is where we start to really start, we start to see that. Um, and so even in the first shots of the movie, um, you start to see that Katniss is a changed person. Right. And that she's, she's been hunting. changed yeah. from being in the games and that Pete has been affected from being in the games. And you start to see all the other tributes that have survived the games are, are a bit damaged. And there's, you know, facets of PTSD, post-traumatic stress. There's flashbacks. There's night terrors, you know. And so starting to explore those ideas um, was really, really interesting to me. I also saw, too, that there were, you know, brand new opportunities for casting. So there was a bunch of new cast members that I could bring in that would carry through the rest of the stories. Um, Where did you start with that? I mean, the Finnick character is the one that caught all the press. Yeah, but I, I actually didn't start with Finnick. We started with uh, the character of Plutarch Kevinsby, who's now played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. And so he was the first person that we went after. Um, and he was actually here, uh, he lives here, but he, he was here on Broadway in Death of a Salesman. And uh, he, he didn't really want to get involved until he was kind of done with that run. Uh, but once he finished, he read the books because he didn't really know anything about right. them beforehand and was really moved by them. And, you know, really liked the idea of having, you know, being in scenes with uh, Jennifer and with right. Donald Sutherland. It's a and, pivotal role. Yeah, and signed on very quickly. And also just liked where this, his character goes. You know, he's an interesting guy. Right. And also Jeffrey Wright, who's one of my favorite New York actors. Yeah, he's one of my favorite actors, too. And now catching too. up, I've been binge-watching Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, oh, I haven't seen him in it oh, yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. no, oh, I'm excited Dr. to see him. Dr. Narcissus, he's yeah. really good. He's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. He, uh, I'd actually tried to get him in my first movie. I, I did a movie called Constantine back in 2003 that I tried to get him to be in, and uh, it didn't work out. So I've been wanting to work with him for a long time. And when this part of Beatty came up, uh, who's one of the new tributes, uh, I went to him. And again, he was also very moved by the, the ideas in the, in the series and by the, the quality of the actors that were already involved. And we had a nice conversation on the phone, and, and he joined up. And so right. the, sort of the same. And, and also when you, talk about, and yeah. when you talk about themes, one of the themes that, that he brings out is that Winning a war isn't just brawn. It's not who's, you know, as Katniss displayed in the first movie, but also it's the, you know, the world of the mind. If you know how to build things, if you know how to make things, if you know tactics, it gives you an advantage, even if physically you're not the strongest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to throw to the first clip? Uh, sure. Shall we? Yeah. Shall uh, we? Before we before yeah, we play this, let me yeah set it up for everybody. There's uh for. For those of you that know the book, uh, this is uh, part of uh, the first stop of the Victory Tour in District 11. And for those of you that don't, uh, this movie starts six months after the end of the last film. Uh, and it's winter, and Katniss and Peeta, because they're victors of the Hunger Games, must now go on a victory tour. And uh, they've become distant from one another. And uh, before she embarks on this tour, President Snow, played by Donald Sutherland, uh, has come to her and said that she has to go out and prove to all the districts that she uh, won the games and did what she did at the end of the games in the last movie because she loved PETA, not because she was being rebellious. Because this rebellious act at the end of the last movie has started uprisings. And so she's just come to District 11. She hasn't been speaking about uh, loving PETA. Instead, she spoke from her heart and uh, it caused a just very disturbing act to take place, and this is the aftermath of that. 
You two have a very simple task. I never meant for anyone to get killed. He has to know that. What are you talking about? Who has to know what? Snow, he came to see me. He's worried about rebellion in the districts. He thinks that they don't believe our love story. You know, Cash, you should have told me that before I went out there and tried to give these people their money. I'm sorry, I didn't know what to do. Candace, what were you thinking? Please, please, just help me get through this trip. Please, just help us get through this. This trip, girl, wake up. This trip doesn't end when you get back home. You never get off this train. You two are mentors now. From now on, your job is to be a distraction so people forget what the real problems are. It's, it's heavy. <laughs> it's not episodic. This is it. And one of the things that we were talking about in the back room is that as much as this is an action movie, it's the intimate moments that resonate. And this is one of them. Do you want to talk about, uh, about that? Sure, yeah. I mean, for, for, for me, um, it almost isn't an action movie at all. I mean, there's action in it, but it's really all about you know, character and relationships um, and the story. And you know, Suzanne Collins, when she wrote this, she wrote it you know, very specifically in the point of view of, uh, of Katniss Everdeen and really kind of never breaks that. We actually get the opportunity to break that uh, a little bit uh, in, in this film, but really we're with Katniss for 95% of the time. And so to me, it's always about what, you know, emotion that she's feeling, uh, you know, what's going on in her head, the psychology of Katniss. She's a, as a teenager, she's always asking, like, who am I? And if I do this, what does it mean? And what are the ramifications? Not just, as you said, it, this is a more political story, the second one, and on into the future. But she's trying to define who she is as a person. Oh, absolutely. But I think one of the great things about her as a character is that, that she's very human. And she has very human, relatable, um, basic needs and wants. Right? She wants her life back. Even though it's not a great life, she just wants her normal life back. And they're not letting her do that. She wants to protect her family. She wants to survive. Um, uh, she wants know, to love who she wants to love. Exactly, but I mean, what, what I even like about her and the love story, because the love triangle in this starts to come up to the surface, is even that, she doesn't even have time for that. She's not right. thinking about who, which boy she loves. You know, again, it has all to do with survival. And so if you want your life back, you would start to gravitate toward the, the childhood friend, the friend that you go hunting with, the friend that helps you provide with your, for your family. Um, and you distance yourself from the kid that went through the games with you, right? Because he's just a reminder of those games. Right. And it just reminds you of the pain and, um, and the, the PTSD. But suddenly, if you're pulled back into that world, you gravitate back toward that person because you find comfort uh, in being with that person because of the, the shared experience of, of the trauma. But I, I, I really Which like I that it's all in the psychology. Little, it's a little bit, that's a little bit of an older person interpretation, only because... There's a lot of hormones involved in this. There but is, but yeah, but you know, I don't know. I would, I would disagree a little bit just because I think that it's like what, what I think is so great about her as a character is that she's, you know, everything is, uh, is very intense, but it's very believable. And it's all about survival and all about protection of the family and just making it through. There's nothing sort of frivolous. And I think sometimes when things are that intense mm -hmm. and your life is at stake and other people's lives are at stake uh, every single second of the day, uh, you don't have time to be thinking about relationships. Like they're just organic to right. within that experience. Moment to moment, yeah. you're saying. Interesting, because I would, I would say maybe not so much, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm interested too because it is, as much as you say it's not an action movie, you know, I saw it on IMAX 
And I think there must be challenges when you're, when you're taking these intimate scenes and when we show the other clip, if we do show it, where it's just two faces, but they're shown on a screen you know, where you could have Prometheus, where you could have, and how do you keep that intimacy when you can see kind of every pore on Jennifer Lawrence's face? You know, what, what do you do? Um, well, uh, you know, I think a lot of that uh, in terms of sort of choosing the coverage of a scene for intimate moments and emotional uh, beats of the movie when thinking about the large format of the screen, um, you know, there's a few things that come into play. One is, you know, given any kind of a movie screen, any movie screen is large, right? And so you have to be as sparing as possible with, uh, you know, extreme close-ups, close-ups. Uh, but even more so with IMAX, because IMAX is such a large format and you're dealing with a screen that can sometimes be 10 stories tall. And if you have people that are sitting up in the front row and you want them to look at the character's eyes, you know, they might have to look eight or nine stories up to see the character's eyes. So you have to actually sort of let the, let the faces sink back in the frame a little bit. Right. And close-ups are a little looser and a little more distant in IMAX than they would be in a normal widescreen right. 240 aspect ratio. Should we show the other clip just because it's another intimate moment? Do you want to set it up? This is with Ga this is the one with. Oh Gale sure, yes. This is um, so. Yeah, this is a scene with uh, Katniss and Gale, and she's just come back from the victory tour, and she knows that she's uh, failed uh, in her mission that President Snow has sent her on, and she's worried worried for her life and her family's life, and also Gale's life that President Snow has threatened Gale, and she's just asked him to run away, and they're having an argument. You haven't hurt people, Katniss. You've given them an opportunity. They just have to be brave enough to take it. We have to go, Gale, before they kill us. They will kill us. What about the other families? Huh? The ones who stay. What happens to them? People are looking at you, Katniss. I don't want anyone looking to me. I can't help them. So that, that is an example of what we were talking about, of having an intimate scene. It's also an explosive scene because it's a moment where they kind of seem to be stepping onto different paths. Yeah, for, uh, absolutely. This is, this is also the movie. I mean, there's a, you know, a moment before the previous clip where Pete has given a speech and Katniss is watching him speak to the population of District 11 and you start to see that he, he puts down the cards he's been given and he gives a very eloquent, eloquent speech and you start to see what he begins to represent in these stories and you know that he's eloquent and that he speaks for peace and this is where you start and to see his, the kind of right. fire of um, you know, rage and war and rebellion that's in Gale and so they start to represent two completely different things um, that she's caught between. Right. And Peter starts to rise as he speaks in this in this episode. Can we call it an episode in this sure. movie, in this sequel? As he speaks, he becomes nobler. You see what he has to offer. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing about these movies is as time progresses, everybody gets honed, and you see more of them. Yeah, and what, what's also important about the scene uh, that we just saw a little clip of is. Uh, Katniss, again, this is one of the things that I think makes her very relatable and very human, is this sort of reluctance for any kind of the responsibility. She doesn't want people looking up to her. She doesn't want to be the leader of a rebellion. You know, she doesn't want that kind of responsibility, which right. would be completely understandable. Which also goes back to the fact, which was in the first one, that 
she had to be the responsible party in her family when her father was killed and her mother couldn't handle it. So she's used to assuming that role, but it's another big step to assume it for a revolution. Right. It's interesting, there was a, there's, when we talked about Plutarch, there's a scene with Plutarch played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's the new game maker because they killed the last one. Um, and he's talking to President Snow, and he says, well, we're going to give them, and I can't remember the exact words, we're going to do flogging, mm -hmm. and we're going to do, and I want to say fashion, but fashion is not right. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure, so yeah. So can you talk about, I mean, because that's one of the major themes that the capital is manipulating, always manipulating the battle, manipulating these people, and tr and trying to play games that are also maybe parallel to Hollywood, maybe parallel to what the media is doing. Yeah. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a, it's, it's an interesting scene. It's one of the one of the scenes that was not in the book. Oh, okay, good. Uh, that was another question. It's a little question. bit of the kind of world growth. So, one of the interesting things we did when developing this book into a screenplay is that we created more scenes for Philip's character and Donald Sutherland, and they had to be sort of backwards engineered because we knew certain things had to happen in Katniss's life and had to imagine what was happening behind the scenes to make those things happen. So you start to think about those events and go back to think about, okay, what was the moment where these decisions were made with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and Donald Sutherland's character? And we had to sort of create the dynamic, because this was not set up in the book, between the two. What was the relationship between the two? What's the dynamic? How, how do they interact with one another? Why does um, President Snow, Donald Sutherland's character, listen to Philip Seymour Hoffman? Um, and so we created the scene, and you can see it in the trailer, where Snow says, you know, she needs to die, and Philip Seymour Hoffman says, I agree, but in the right way, in the right time. And what's interesting is that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is pitching this idea of her becoming a symbol for the rebellion. And you have to be very, very careful about killing somebody that's becoming a symbol because they could just become a martyr. Right. And the symbol could get even stronger. So his whole pitch is to ruin the image before you get rid of the girl. And there's this great moment where he's um, in the scene where he's saying... Cra uh, crack down on the districts, right? Plan this wedding. Katniss is supposed to get married to Peter. Plan this wedding. Put it on TV. Crack down on the districts. Have live whippings that we broadcast right. on TV and hangings and, you know, get rid of any, you know, little luxury that any of these people might have. Starve them. And while you're doing this, show how um, she's living it up while she's going to get married. And Philip actually just in improv, in rehearsal, in the scene, came up with the sequence that you'll see if you see the movie. Uh, where he starts saying that, you know, we'll have, you know, floggings, and you see her trying on the wedding dress. You cut up against her trying the wedding dress. Right. You have public executions, and you see what her wedding cake is going to look like. And this great juxtaposition to show that she's becoming one of the, one of the capital. Right. And I think that's interesting. It's, it's tricky to play with that because you also are carrying a big franchise or what's becoming a big franchise. So you have to, it's, it's interesting to me because it's revolutionary and then at the same time it becomes about the costumes. It becomes about Jennifer Lawrence's pixie haircut, you know, when you're, when you're traveling. It's a very interesting fine line that you're treading, which I assume in the, in, when you go on to Mockingjay, which, which are the next two, which is the symbol, you will work out. Yeah, well, you know, what's, what's interesting, you bring up, you know, let's say Jennifer's haircut, and I think what's, what's fascinating, I think, about the, these movies and these stories that I think that there's a lot in them that sort of mirrors what we see around us all the time, right? There's the exploitation of celebrity, there's 
you know, yes. things with the media, uh, totalitarian governments, surveillance, um, consequence of violence, all these great ideas in there. And so we go on tour, and obviously we use the, the media to help promote the movies, but there's something that changes, because, you know, we're not going out on the road um, selling Jennifer's haircut. You know, right. What that's just something that suddenly becomes this big headline because everybody's really interested that she's got this pixie cut. And that's the kind of stuff that you see in the movie, this kind right. of super obs obsessive kind of quality that the media has over like things like that. Right. And that suddenly this haircut becomes it, you know, because and that's I can't the opt out because Yahoo Movies does it us weekly. You know, I'm part sure. of the media, so I'm not going to like distance myself. But I just it's interesting to me. Continue. I'm yeah, sorry. no, but that's I mean, that's kind of the capital. I mean, that's what the capital would do. Right. They would they would take one because it is the story of a rebellious of, of an independent girl. Correct. The kernel of it is. And it's starting to get bigger and bigger. But if you co-opt that image, then you're the capital. And when you focus on her, when you focus on Jennifer Lawrence, not as a great actress who did Winter's Bone, who broke out in Hunger Games, who did, who's going to do American Hustle, who did Silver Linings Playbook, but you objectify her, there's something in my stomach that kind of clenches. Yeah, but it's also, you know, but, but people eat it up. I mean, everybody, right. you know... Uh, they, they do it for a reason. It's because everybody's, you know, clicking on those, you know, news right, sites exactly. and looking, looking at the pictures and eating it's, it it's up. A fa it's fascinating how it reverberates into the movie itself. Yeah. That it becomes something that people hopefully will then talk about. Um, it's interesting also, you collaborated with Suzanne Collins in this. What, so you said that one of the things you did was, would you say backfill or backcreate? Yeah. Be because it is very much, as it's written, the perspective is Katniss Everdeen. It's yes. like, you know, a writing trick. You have a narrative and it's mostly through her eyes. So you have to go in and backfill. What else did you did you add, subtract? What did you and Suzanne pull Well, like, I pull think, in? you know, one of the, the, the first thing that I did when I got the job was I, I came to New York and I wanted to sit with Suzanne and pick her brain. And what ended up happening was um, we sat in a room at her publisher's house, uh, publisher's office, right around the corner actually from here. Uh -huh. And we, we spent three days together just going through the book and my notes on the book and creating a beat sheet for what we thought the movie should be. Um, and then we brought the writer in at the end of that and also Nina Jacobson, the producer, would sort of come in and out mm -hmm. throughout the process and we would sort of picture what we were working on. Right. And we kind of collaborated that way. But the two of us really created this beat sheet to, to hand to the writer. And so we were sort of sifting through the story and dropping things out. And, and Suzanne, I have to say to her credit, is very good at being sort of ruthless with her own material. And she uh, used to write for TV and has um, sort of a film structure mm -hmm. um, that she works with even for the novels. And so it laid out quite nicely. Um, and she kind of already had in her head the, the, the sections that she thought sh should get lifted. Lifted as in taken out? Exactly, or? yeah. So, there's tell, sort of so a, what, give us, a, I love examples. There's a, there's a section of the book that comes right after they've returned home from the victory tour, mm -hmm. uh, right around the time uh, the, the, the Gale that, scene takes right. place, the last where she's decided she wants to try and run away until mm -hmm. she um, gets reaped and is going to go back into the games. That's very long. It's almost a quarter of the book. And we've condensed it way, way down. I mean, even Suzanne herself. Because there's a little house, right, that they go to? Yeah, we yeah. cut. Yeah, we cut that. And uh, Suzanne even called it herself called it the cinematic dead zone. Right. It's just this kind of sort of area in the story where she was very in her head, and she was sitting at home a lot and thinking about things, and sort of taking these little trips out into the woods. And right. 
Um, and so it's really, really difficult to, to keep in the screenplay. Right. So she's able, and I, and I have to say as a writer that I feel the books are so well written. Might be sacrilege. Twilight, I cannot read the books. Watch the movies. But I feel like the Catching Fire, the Hunger Games books, the prose is so good, the story is so good, the characters act in ways that are really consistent, mm -hmm. and the themes resonate, They're, that they work as books and then they work as movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, but I think that's why, that's what's attracted, I think, the, the talent involved and all, all the cast. I think everybody just really, really felt and understood the characters and found the voices consistent and, and also really were moved by the themes and ideas. Awesome. Hi, Francis. Hi. My question is, with collaborating with Suzanne, what was um, a pivotal scene in the book that both you and Suzanne wanted to have in the film? Uh, I, well, you know, quite honestly, I wanted I wanted to get as much in the film as possible, and uh, I mean, from the book, and I think so did Suzanne. I think for the most part, it was pretty clear what wasn't going to be in, um, and so most of the sort of excess. Um, it dropped away pretty easily, and then there was like a few leftover things that sort of last, lasted through the drafts and kind of you know were sort of slow to to get dropped away. But for the most part, I mean, we knew that we wanted the the scene in District Eleven. That's a big key key scene. You know, you want Snow showing up at her house and sending her you know on her mission. Uh, you know, there's big key elements in the arena. Um, there's some great sort of intimate moments with Katniss and and some of the characters you know throughout the middle I think that were that were key to us so I, I, you know for the most part we got all the kind of tent pole moments and definitely got the spirit of of the book in in the movie. How hard was it to do that monkey fight scene? Uh, it was very it was very difficult. We shot that for about a week. They're not a, monkeys. Are, what are they? Orangutans or what no? Are they they are they're drills. They're sort of part of the baboon family. Oh, is what we based okay. Them I'm on. sorry. I knew I wasn't going to get that yes. one right. But so there's this really terrifying baboon-ish scene where they're fighting. It's who it's at that point. It's Peta. It's Finnick and Katniss. And Katniss. So do you want to tell talk a little bit? And then we're going to go to another question. But sure. Yeah. No. We shot uh, we shot that scene over about a week in Hawaii, and we were shooting in a rainforest and had our actors in this sort of dammed up stream that we turned into a little bit of a swamp, and so they were standing around this kind of muck and mud and water for about a week fighting nothing I you know they were just sort of fighting the air and I was uh -huh. having to describe what was happening and that these monkeys were running around we did have a few stunt people that were dressed in these little suits that would kind of run around sometimes <laughs> for eye lines and things yeah. that, that was a uh, pretty silly looking but um, it helped yeah. and uh, sometimes for water interaction yeah but it was uh, it was tricky and then we had Weta uh, the company in New Zealand did the visual effects and did an amazing job the monkeys look fantastic so then they just dropped that in yeah okay Hi, Francis. Welcome to New York. Thank I'm you. a big fan of your work. I'm a legend, Constantine, and Elephant. Can yeah. you, would you compare this is one of your top films that you ever done, and would you feel this is the best? Uh, I would. I think that, you know, it's... Um, I, I just fell in love. The reason I did it is I fell in love with the source material. I just, I loved the story. I loved the characters. And, you know, the parameters that I was given, you know, inheriting this cast, it was already an amazing cast to start with. We got some more great people now. Um, but the, the world that I got the chance to build, because I love world building, and the story I got to tell, and the fact, quite honestly, that you have a, a series of books and stories that have real ideas in them and are moving and are intense, but have real ideas that 
people are going to see, like in droves. I mean, that was really exciting to be a part of something like that, um, and and to tell stories with some meaning really excited me. Um, but it's it just in terms of filmmaking, it's like right in my wheelhouse in terms of the sort of naturalistic sci-fi world building telling a story um, that has some humor and has some real emotional intensity and has some thrills and can be scary sometimes. I, I just like the sort of full experience. And literary adaptation is also in your wheelhouse. Yeah, because yeah. Because Water for Elephants, etc. Sure. Hi, Francis. Um, yeah, I really liked the first movie and uh, I don't know who made the movie until today. And uh, I like the movie because I, think, uh, I see the, our society going that way. And I see um, um, they use a uh, um, privileged group, like uh, use a uh, less privileged group uh, to manipulate and use them as the entertain uh, for their boredom. It's like a Roman Radiators. Empire use uh, use uh, cage fighting, yeah. uh, uh, slaves, uh, wild animals. But there also there's another three called a singularity. I don't know if you heard that. The singularity. Yeah. Yeah. And now the Google with um, uh, NASA already uh, bought first a commercial um, quantum computer. I see that more like happening as well. So from your point of view, uh, you think which way more like happen, singularity or the the the, the story like well, movie? I'm gonna, I'm going to hope for neither. I think. <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm go hoping neither humanism? way it goes. Yeah, let's yeah. go for humanism. Um, yeah, I. I didn't do this movie because I think this is where we're going to end up. I mean, I think that, you know, for me, for me making movies, you know, when I was a kid, you like to go to movies, you like to escape, you want to be told a good story and you want to be moved and you want to go on an emotional journey um, and immerse yourself in a different world. And I think that's first and foremost what I do is try, try and entertain people, truly. And on top of it, if you can also make people think, and if part of what makes a rich you know, storytelling experience um, means having sort of seeing kind of facets of the story kind of mirrored in the world around you, which I think happens in these books Definitely. and in these movies, um, in terms of some of the things that we talked about, like violence and you know, post-traumatic stress and the haves and have-nots and celebrity and you know, all those elements, I think that just makes for a more entertaining and rich experience. Um, but yeah, I don't do it because I'm, I think that this is the way the world's going right. to end up. Hi, Francis. How are you? Uh, could you talk about the pivotal sequence uh, between uh, Kiefer Sutherland character president with uh, Katniss? Don oh, Donald, Donald Sutherland? Sutherland? Donald Sutherland, yeah. okay. uh, uh, the characters and the Katniss, because that was the critical element that probably spun off to the Mockingjay as well. So could you talk about how you set it up those sequences, because it's quite a difficult sequence to put it off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, quite honestly, it was more difficult for, for the actors. You know, we went through um, multiple versions in the script. Uh, so as we were developing it, you know, we started with a version from the book and then we sort of pared it down because it was a very long scene in the book and it ended up being about, I think at one point it was a 10, 10 page scene or something between the two of them. And we whittled it way down to, I mean, a page and a half at one point, which was about a minute and a half long. And we quite quickly realized that wasn't nearly enough and it expanded back out. And so now it's actually a pretty substantial scene that happens very early in the film, quite structurally at about the same time in the book. 
Um, and it is really pivotal. I mean, it carries through. There's sort of throughout these stories, it's the sort of first of three real moments between Katniss Everdeen and President Snow. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, I would say 95% of the, of the scene comes straight out of the book. Um, so that she's, you know, he's basically in the study and she goes in and they sit down and it just plays out just like it was in the book. Um, and, you know, it was very tricky for them because Donald had a lot to do and Jen actually had a lot of listening to do. Uh, which can be really tricky sometimes, you know, sort of just reacting and listening and feeling when somebody's talking at you for, you know, 10 minutes straight. Um, but uh, And I she's great it, at that. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things that she, there's a stillness to her and uh, a watchfulness that really works. In yeah, this. no, I mean, she's, she's fantastic. I mean, they, they, they're both fantastic actors. And I mean, you know, Donald Sutherland's an amazing President Snow. And so I think that the, the scene works really, really well. Perfect casting. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely great casting. Good evening, Francis. I've been following your work from music to now. And as you touch on celebrity, I just wanted to know, do you look back in your early work when you were like working with, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, hit making celebrities, making these music videos that millions of people were watching, and now they're going to be watching uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Did you look back and actually trying to implement any of your work from music to now. And the second part is, um, I heard you say that you know millions of people, billions are gonna be watching this, excuse me, but as a fan and working in the music industry, it's very intriguing because it's one knowing your mind, billions of people were already watching your work and maybe didn't know what the byline was, who actually shot this. And I just wanna know what you think about that and did you look back and say, I worked with Britney, I worked with this person or that person, I used this element, and I want to bring it to Hunger Games Catching Fire. Well, I would say that the, the biggest thing that I brought to this from the, my music video career uh, really has to do with the Capitol, and I would say with, there's, a, there's a sequence at a Capitol party at the President's Mansion, um, and the style of the Capitol. And some of the fashion, you know, especially with Effie Trinket, and because you know, obviously in music videos, you work, we work a lot with stylists and a lot of a lot of fashion and trying various things. And there was a woman that I'd worked with, Trish Somerville, who did um, a pink video with me and did a couple other videos, and we became friends. And she's really talented. And then she had gone off and done movies and did the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with David Fincher. And so I asked her if she wanted to join this because I wanted to make sure that the capital fashion um, was made a bit more sophisticated so that they could, would feel juxtaposed to the districts more oppressive than in their kind of lavish, hedonistic lifestyle. And so I would say that in terms of like color palette and fashion, the music video world sort of connected with this through the, the capital. Um, and yeah, what was the second question about? Oh, the second part was you touched on there are going to be billions of people watching uh, Catching Fire, but um, there already been billions of people watching your work across the world, but they never knew the byline. They saw the superstar in front of the camera. Sure. But now you're in front of the camera, you're here, you're going to be on Entertainment Tonight, et cetera. How do you feel about that? Because I already, I feel like you are a star, so. Oh, well, thanks. So is your star, so is your question like, so how does it feel to have your star clicked up a notch? Is that what you're kind of saying? Okay. 
Okay, already there. Uh, Recognized. No, I don't know. I mean, okay. you know, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it was, yeah, music videos were more anonymous for sure because you're never out, like, promoting them, you know. You make them and, you know, on MTV used to, I don't know if they still do, but they used to put the director's names there. So sometimes people would see a name or know a name to videos. But, yeah, but now with, you know, with uh, film, you go out and you promote and you do these kinds of things and you do a lot of interviews and all that. But that's what I think it is, is really I'm out there... Um, you know, and out here and doing this because I'm proud of the the film that I've done, and you know, just want to you know get as many people to connect to it as possible, and um, and especially for anybody that's interested in you know in film or in music videos uh, the way I was, that you know, if it's if I could be of any help in terms of you know career. Yeah. Hi, Francis. Actually, we work together on I Am Legend. And I walked in here randomly and I saw you. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> but I was a camera assistant. I don't expect you to remember me. Um, but my question did you, is... Did you work with Gregor? Yeah, I oh worked my. with Gregor. And, oh, okay, and, sure. Uh, did you leave early? I did. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you didn't Busted. stick it out. Ah. No, I know. You went... You, you, I, had, yeah. I had another project. Yeah, I know. But I wanted to, I wanted to stay on. Um, but my question is, I remember at that time that the, the, the infected were going to be real people yeah. that, you know, we were putting makeup on. And, and I thought that that was really interesting. But then they wound up being CGI and it had a totally different feel. Mm -hmm. And most of your films, you know, actually, I've wanted to ask you this question for so long. A lot of your films <laughs> have a lot of CGI heavy um, subject matter. So I was just curious. When do you, you know, these are very producer, um, uh, I just want to say, you know, that they're like huge films. They're huge Hollywood films. So when do you fight for non-CGI and, and when Well, do you I mean, you know, quite honestly, I try not to do CGI, you know, whenever possible. And so like with I Am Legend, we wanted to do, we wanted to do The Infected with real people. And we had that group and we shaved their heads. I don't know if you remember that. We had them dressed up. And then the first night of shooting, they looked like a group of 40 mimes running through Washington Square Park. And I started and to that's sweat. Not a good thing. No, it was a horrible thing. And it was that you could see really quickly that they didn't have the aggression. They didn't look right. It just wasn't working. And we did one night of shooting, and so we had to make this kind of emergency call. And we switched over to digital. Um, and I learned a lot about working with you know digital creatures on that. Um, you know, there's like the whole uncanny valley thing, especially that if you look, if you, digital creatures that look too similar to humans can start to look funky just because the way our brains operate um, and the time needed for testing and animation and all of that. Um, and there was some really nice shots in, in I Am Legend with the creatures and some really bad ones. And you know, you run out of time and the plug gets pulled and it ends up being what it is, which was you know, sort of disappointing. Uh, but now I've learned some lessons and I try as much as possible to use real when you can use real and be in real places when you can be in real places. Um, you know, in Hunger Games, we have a big monkey fight with a bunch of, you know, crazy, really scary, kind of rabid um, baboons. And, you know, it just would have been impossible. I mean, you can't train them, you can't shoot it, you can't get them to do anything, you can't get them to act like they die, all of that, you know, <laughs> so you just have to, you know, you have to do it digitally. But we made sure that we went through the process properly this time and tested properly and used the right people. And so. 
How have technical advances helped your filmmaking, and what advances do you feel have helped you the most? And by the way, what did you shoot this on? If you can, since we are in the Apple Store, if we could have some of the technical details, that would be much appreciated. Uh, sure. Well, we shot this. Um, we shot this on film. Uh, Thirty-five. This was real film. Yes. The new ones we're shooting now are digital, but this was film. Uh, so the majority of the the movie is. 35 millimeter anamorphic, and then we also shot a large portion of the arena in 70 millimeter 15 perf IMAX. Um, so go see it in IMAX for your midnight show. Um, and techni technical things. I mean, I would say the best, the, the, the most advances I think would be in terms of uh, sound and editing and visual effects for me. Um, now that we're shooting digital, there's a bunch of advances I, I, that I really like in terms of digital. I think the digital cameras are great now. I think that the, the color is amazing um, and the latitude uh, that they have is amazing and you can use anamorphic lenses now and you get full use of the sensor, which is great. Uh, but in terms of editing, the editing speed and the memory and visual effects and the kind of visual effects that you can do and the speed at which you can do them uh, is just incredible. And also the workflow in terms of sound so that the editorial department and the sound department and the visual effects department, just the, the way that they can all work together now and bring and start people working very early in the process, you can just get a lot more done so you can go through many more iterations. Uh, so I would say most of the sort of advances are on the post front. And now, the last question, now you're going off to Paris and Berlin, you said to scout? Yes, to scout. Yeah. So, so you, the journey continues. Yeah, we were just there on the tour f to promoting the film, and now I go back because we're doing our tech scout. We shoot um, in May and June of next year uh, out there for some of Mockingjay. Well, thank you very much, Francis. It's been a total pleasure. I'm sure that the people here are going to go see the movie, and I'm going to see it again this weekend with my 14-year-old. Awesome. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Thank you.